This is Trail Tales, a running podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean Soban and David Waters. We'll discuss everything to do about running. It doesn't matter if you're a new runner or an experienced racer. The stories and guests at Trail Tales ARP will keep you entertained. From the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild! Welcome to Season 4, Episode 4 of Trail Tales ARP. Today's guest comes to us from Dublin, Ireland. Her name is Eva Butterly, and she is known across the internet as a scoliosis warrior. Staying at 4 foot 10 inches tall after surgery for her back, she has defied the odds. She's an ultra runner, she's a power lifter, she's a bodybuilder, she's an actress, she was on Game of Thrones. We're going to talk about all of that and more on this episode of Trail Tales ARP. Run wild everybody and enjoy the show. Get pumped because this episode is going to lift you up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Trail Tales ARP, a running podcast. I am your host, Sean Sobon, and I have another wonderful guest with me today, all the way from Ireland, and her name is Eva Butterly. Eva, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me, Sean. I'm delighted to be here. I, I'm very excited to have you on the show. So just to give the listeners a bit of a quick background, um, we have a common connection through our friend Simon Hayes, and he happens to be a listener of the show, and we exchanged a few emails a little while back, and uh, he had sent me an article about a very inspirational person to have a read, and I, I read it, and I was I was quite overwhelmed with everything and that person turned out to be you <laughs> and it was, a, it was a, the article is about you and your upcoming I guess your recently completed ultra marathon um, that you had done so first off thank you Simon for for connecting us and getting Eva on the show and Eva let's start talking let's just jump right into it you so you just completed an ultra marathon this was your second one if I understand how how did it go well it went, uh, I, I would say the first one went uh, better than the second one, Sean. And the reason behind that was um, I didn't give myself enough recovery time in between the two events. So um, uh. I did the first event, um, August 15th. That was um, 55 kilometers, um, 4,000 meter ascent. Um, and that went fine because I had trained very well for it. Um, But then um, I did another, the second ultramarathon three weeks later on the 4th of September. And um, I've never never done an ultramarathon before that before. Um, So I think I just needed more time to recover. Um, The second event, I ended up um, doing some damage to my knee um, about, 65 kilometers into the event the the whole event was 90 kilometers um so i ended up walking for uh 20 kilometers <laughs> on a bandy knee um, oh and then yeah i just at the end i was like dude i i can't anymore like I, i'm all for like pushing yourself but when it gets to the point where you're like no if i continue like i'm probably going to do some proper damage so um i stopped before that happened um but yeah no to answer your question they did they went really well and a lot of learning lessons from them like for future events um and i'm you know really happy to to have done them wow you know that that's amazing first thing i'm gonna say is i did my first ultra marathon last november it was only 50 kilometers and i'm still recovering <laughs> <laughs> so, that's so, reasonable so for you to do two in, in such a close time span and I mean, irregardless of the DNF on the second one, um, to make it as far as you did and um, pushing through a lot of pain and suffering, uh, a true testament to your to your determination and your grit. So bravo for that. That's a that's a great performance. Do you know what it was, Sean? It was like um, I was a bit apprehensive that none of the events were going to go ahead this year because of COVID-19. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I hadn't originally intended on doing the second event, but I said, <laughs> I kind of said to myself, oh, I don't know if there'll be another event on, so I better squeeze them all in before they all get cancelled. <laughs> I hear you. Were, were you kind of hoping in the back of your mind that, oh, maybe it'll get cancelled and I can get a free pass? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping. I, I was, I was uh, hoping for that, Sean, but uh, sadly didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, but it, it looks like... Uh, Again, like I said, regardless of the DNF, um, you learned a lot of lessons. I think when we struggle in our running or in any part of our life in general, um, struggles kind of lead to character building and and let us understand how much resolve we can actually muster in times of challenges. Oh, absolutely. Um, during that event, the, the second one where my knee went, um, I'd never struggled like that uh, physically before. Um, You you see, we were running on uh, no sleep because it was a nighttime event. So it started at 10 p.m. at night. And um, we ran through the night just fine. No bother to us. We were actually pretty much ahead of the pack. And then, um, you know, morning time came and um, I was starting to feel a bit out of it because... um, I just eaten a lot of energy gels and do you know that feeling where you have too much and you're like uh you're about like 10 plus hours into the event and you just feel like I can't I can't eat any more sugar absolutely (laughs) I've been there lots of times (laughs) (laughs) the struggle is real yeah Yeah, and it's just like when the thing happened with the knee um I was like no I really want to continue on um and I did, but just every step of it, like um, I couldn't, I couldn't move my knee forward. I kind of had to move my knee, my leg to the side. And there was a bunch of like rocky patches, like going down gravel. It was like a blisteringly hot day and just every step um, felt absolutely horrendous. And it just went on for about four hours of me hobbling along uh, you know, uh, trying to trying to complete it, and um, yeah, I was just there. There is a lot of kind of like low moments there, definitely during that four hours. Um, thank God, my friend Emma was there with me. Actually, um, she was an absolute legend. Like she had no injury at all, and she well could have like ran ahead and finished the race. But um, you know, she stayed with me for that last twenty k, and then she went on to finish the race. So. You know, big shout out to her, like an absolute hero. Wonderful. Emma, thank you and bless you for doing that because it, it's it's really a great thing when you have somebody with you when you're struggling to, to push you forward and motivate you. Absolutely. Um, so Eva, how's the knee feeling now? You've been, you know, a couple of weeks post-race. How, how are you doing? Well, Sean, I have to get an MRI done on it, um, but nothing happens quickly at the moment uh, because of COVID. So uh-huh. I'm still waiting to get an appointment. Um, in terms of running, um, I've had to give it a rest at the moment just because when I run, it it hurts. Um, but I'm not letting my fitness go to shit. Um, I'm taking up cycling in the meantime. And my doctor said, uh, well, if you want to just like keep up your fitness um, without the impact, um, do cycling and then you'll come back to running when you can do it with uh, a lot more vigor. So I'd say, to be honest, I'll be okay. Um, I think uh, I just need uh, a little bit of time to recover. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as they say, time does heal all wounds for the most part. I think we can agree with that. But uh, I think cycling is a great, great exercise to do in the meantime. And I don't know, do you swim at all? There's another great low impact uh, activity you can do as well. Oh, you know, Sean, everyone's been telling me, get in the water, go (laughs) see swimming. It's really good to decrease inflammation. But I'm just such a wuss with cold water. It's just, Uh, (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that makes for very short swims sometimes or or no swims at all, eh? (laughs) Or like dip in, get straight back out again. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I hear you there. (laughs) So, um, Eva, we haven't talked about this yet, but um, let's talk about your journey so far. So for those of you who don't know who Eva Butterly is, um, she is known as the Scoliosis Warrior. And I think that's a great fitting title for yourself. And so just a quick background from some of the research I had done, Eva, before our interview. So, 
you were diagnosed with scoliosis at the age of 12. And it was one of your uh, grade school teachers that had noticed this. So why don't you kind of take us through your journey from that point on to where you are today? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll give you um, a brief synopsis there, Sean. Um, so, I, yeah, I was diagnosed uh, with scoliosis at age 12. Um, a teacher noticed my shoulders were slumped to one side in um, a school photograph. So um, I went to a chiropractor and, yeah, they told me I had scoliosis, but it was something that could be corrected through um, regular visits to the chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't happen to be the case. Um, my scoliosis over, like, six months, it got worse and worse, and my ribs, like, started rotating out to the side all in a very short space of time where it almost looked like I had a a hump on my back. Um, So I went to an orthopedic surgeon. My mum brought me there, had an MRI scan done, and they said that I have a severe form of scoliosis, um, so a a thoracic curvature of 100 degrees um, and then a lower lumbar curvature of um, 80 degrees. So basically, I had to get operated on straight away. Um, There wasn't any question about any other type of treatment. This was pretty much just to save my spine from kind of collapsing upon itself. Um, So obviously, that's a lot to take in as like, you know, a 13-year-old girl. Um, But I didn't really have a choice. Um, So six weeks later, had a spinal fusion done. Um, They inserted two Harrington rods either side of my spine. Um, and a bunch of screws in there to hold it in place. Um, really, like, very invasive operation. Um, the whole length of my spine was fused. Um, and then, uh, and then unfortunately, uh, the rods in my back ended up becoming infected. Um, so they had to come out again. Um, so six, uh, six months later, after that initial surgery, I had the rods taken out again. Um, but... Uh, because the fusion had solidified my vertebrae in place, um, I didn't need to get rods put in again. So basically after that, I ended up wearing a body cast um, around my torso for a year after that, just to make sure that everything stayed in place. Um, and then I was pretty much uh, good to go after that. I could kind of go back to school, go back to leading a somewhat normal life with um, a few limitations. Um, and then, yeah, at 18, then um, I discovered uh, fitness for the first time. Um, I think I was drinking a lot in college and I wanted to lose a little bit of weight. So I went to the gym with my brother. Um, he introduced me to uh, weight training. And um, this is kind of the first time I had ever like gotten seriously into fitness since um, before I was uh, operated on. Um, so I kind of find out with the way I was structured, like I have, I'm very short, I'm four foot 10. Um, my growth stopped because of the spinal fusion. Um, okay. but I have very long limbs. I have uh, very long arms and very long legs. So because of the way I'm structured, um, I found out I was like very strong in certain lifts, like very strong deadlifter and, um, yeah, mostly a strong deadlifter. Squatting doesn't come that easy. <laughs> um, and yeah, then, you know, a few things happened um, since from 18 to I'm now 29. I, I was an actor for a while. I had a brief stint on Game of Thrones. Then I became a personal trainer. Um, I specialize in strength and conditioning. Um, I have a gym here in my hometown of Rush where I train people who have scoliosis and who don't have scoliosis. And, um, yeah, and that's, that's a basic overview of, uh, yeah. And then trail running as well. <laughs> yeah, and trail running as well. So th- that, that is a great synopsis of, of kind of your journey up till now. So let's, let's break that down a little bit. And I guess just back to the beginning, you, you did a very uh, good description. I think we can get a good understanding of what scoliosis is, but so essentially it's, it's a, it's an S curvature of the spine. Is it not? Uh, yes. So there's two different types of scoliosis. There's okay. functional scoliosis, which is mainly due to, um, you know, lifestyle habits, uh, poor posture, the way you're sitting, um, you know, the way you place your body. 
and that can be actually corrected through exercise. But then there's the other type of scoliosis, which is structural. And that is basically, yes, it's a lateral curvature of the spine, but it's not only a curvature of the spine because the spine curves, it actually causes the ribs to rotate um, in one direction, which can cause what um, I suppose the medical term for it is rib, rib hump, but I don't really like to think of it as a hump. Um, I just, uh, you know, think of it as rib rotation. But yeah, it's it's a curvature of the spine with um, with rib rotation as well. Okay, and uh, I imagine you know our our ribs, our chest cavity, house all of our vital organs. So there there must be some displacement of of the lungs. Was it you know? It sounds like you got your surgery pretty quickly on. Um, I imagine had they not done it or, or the scoliosis was allowed to get more severe, you'd probably have some issues with breathing and, and other things like that, I imagine. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people do have uh, severe issues with uh, lung capacity and breathing and that. But I, I was kind of lucky in the sense that because uh, my curvature was so severe that it's almost symmetrical in nature. So it's not like there's like one curve that's a whole lot bigger than the other like if if you looked at an x-ray of my spine it just looks like an s snake um and it's kind of symmetrical on top and on bottom um so thankfully i don't have any issues with breathing um just because of the way my my um curve is shaped but yeah a lot of people have serious issues with it um it's quite a common side effect to scoliosis. Okay. And I think that makes sense. So obviously there were a few complications after your surgery and that was a bit of a rough road. I can only imagine. Um, so after you had been recovered and you kind of went back on with life, what did the doctors have to say to you in terms of, you know, activity and exercise and whatnot? To be honest with you, Sean, um, back when I, got surgery done there wasn't a whole lot of information out there about scoliosis um and I didn't know anyone else who had scoliosis and I wasn't really getting any physio or anything like that done um and I was basically told after the surgery that I was gonna have to be very careful uh with my back I was gonna have to avoid a lot of uh, impact sports um so yeah, uh, impact sports were basically a no-no. Um, I think if the doctors <laughs> saw what I was doing now, they'd probably cringe. <laughs> it's basically everything they told me not to do. <laughs> but, you know, I just kind of, you know, I just kind of listened to my body, you know, and if something didn't feel good, like I wouldn't do it. But uh, that's kind of always been, you know, my philosophy is just like, you know, push yourself if it uh, feels challenging but doable but uh pull back if you know there's like a sharp sensation or something doesn't feel right yeah i think i think that's very sound advice for anybody but uh, especially if you had a major surgery like yourself you want to make sure that you, you don't uh hurt yourself more so than just you know a muscle tear or something right yeah and i yeah. mean i'm pretty lucky in the sense sean that i don't have any metalware in my back anymore so um i'm fused but i don't actually have metal work to hold a fusion in place so i think i could probably do a lot more than someone who does still have metal work in their back right i, I guess that makes sense right um so i think you've you've proven the doctors wrong that uh, you can actually um involve yourself with sports and and you know power lifting and bodybuilding and running and trail running and all these wonderful things um how how did things evolve? So you said your brother introduced you into kind of strength training, uh, took you to the gym, and you kind of fell in love with it there. So how did how did things evolve from going into the gym to getting into running, and then and then all of a sudden doing something crazy like ultra running? <laughs> yeah, so I'd been running for, or sorry, I had been weightlifting for about ten years before uh, I properly started running. Um, and it kind of evolved, uh, you know, I started training about four or five days a week in the gym, um, doing mainly compound lifts, uh, like squat, deadlift, um, shoulder press, ab work, a bit of boxing, uh, pad work, that type of thing, sprints. 
Um, and then I just kind of noticed uh, over the course of six months, like my body starting to change. Um, I'd gone from, you know, just looking a bit, well, in my opinion, kind of awkward to um, I kind of yeah, started to develop muscle on my body. Um, I started to become a lot more uh, symmetrical. Um, and for the first time, I actually felt good about my body. Like for a long time, I was always just trying to hide my shape. Um, I didn't like wearing tight clothes. I uh, I didn't like wearing bikinis, anything like that. But uh, weight training just had a, a massive uh, effect on my confidence. So I kind of kept it up because it definitely got me through some uh, struggles. I'd always rely on going to the gym to kind of make me feel mentally good. Um, and then, you know, I've been hiking for years as well. Uh, I used to live in Vancouver. Um, and I did a lot of hiking over there and I'm with a group in Dublin called the Trailblazers mm -hmm. and they are like kind of a very intense, fast, uh, uh, hiking group. Um, so I don't, I kind of just, I was training with them for about two years. We would do, uh, distances that were as long as ultra marathons, but they were hiking. So it was kind of just a natural progression from hiking into running. Like I had the cardiovascular fitness, but I didn't necessarily have the running steps under my belt. Um, so I started training uh, only in July with the Dublin Mountain Running Club, uh, which is where you know Simon from. Um, he's a, a member of that uh, wonderful group as well. And uh, yeah, I just started going out with them, um, trying to get my head around the technical trails um I definitely fell and creamed myself and smashed up my knees a couple of times along the way um yeah I don't think I've ever been injured as much as I have with trail running but that's what I kind of love about it as well that it's it's so difficult for me and I'm sure for most people when you begin but I kind of I kind of love the challenge of it at the same time you know I absolutely know what you're talking about you know it's funny yeah I do a lot of road running but I really my heart is out on the trails and uh I've never fallen on the road now that I come to think of it but I can't you know I don't have enough fingers and toes to count the amount of times I've fallen on a trail and I, <laughs> and I think it's especially you know once once you've been out there and usually trail runs are a little bit longer than you know an average road run because you want to get some mileage in but once your body starts to fatigue maybe your 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 form changes a little bit and uh you know, I find that I, I'm more susceptible to tripping on the roots or the rocks or whatever. And that's when I kind of get into trouble when I start to get tired out in the trails. Oh, so true. It's kind of when you start to lose focus and, yeah, you've got those kind of tree trunks and uh, bits of rock there. And, yeah, when you lose concentration for a moment on the trail, that's when you're going to fall over. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thankfully, like yourself, I've, you know, had some scrapes, um, knees and, you know, elbows and things like that, but nothing serious to the point where I had to stop or actually get injured. Just a few, few bumps and bruises is all. <laughs> War wins. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the, the running group you had mentioned that, uh, Simon's a part of now you, you run with them as well. That's right. And are they, um, primarily road runners or do they do trail as well? So they are mostly trail, Sean. Okay. Um, I don't think, in fact, I've gone out on a road run with them. Yeah, we mostly stick to the mountains, which, uh, which I quite like. Wonderful. Yeah, the mountains are something I have never experienced because where we live in Ontario, um, there, are, there are no mountains here. We have a lot of, lot of hills, um, like a rolling terrain, which, you know, which is nice. I mean, there's... You know, we have a small little mountain um, just north of where I am, about 45 minutes, called Blue Mountain in the town of Collingwood. But uh, it's it's you would look at it and think it's just a little hill <laughs> from being out in out in uh, British Columbia and the, the mountains you have in Ireland. So um, your first ultra marathon was 4000 meters elevation. Like we don't have that anywhere near here. So what what is it like doing that much elevation? Well, it's not all at once, Sean. So when I right. say 4,000 meters, that was over 13 mountains. Uh, well, I don't know, to be honest, if you'd even call them mountains in Ireland. Um, you know, they're more, they are more like hills. Um, but certainly over in Vancouver, uh, they definitely would be classified as mountains. Um, but what do I like about it? Um, 
I love I just love the sense of adventure of uh, getting out to the mountains. Like y- you could be having a really uh, bad week and, um, you know, you can feel really overwhelmed. And uh, I know straight away the best remedy for that is just getting out into the mountains um, just getting some fresh air, breaking a sweat, um, climbing a mountain. And uh, you're just going to come back with a fresh perspective and you're just going to feel so much better more energized and better better mentally afterwards. So it's like a, a nice reset to kind of get back to ground zero, I guess, if you will. Yes, um, yeah. such a reset. Oh, I bet. I mean, yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. Sometimes, you know, days or, or things catch up to you and your, your head needs a clearing. So running and exercise in general, I think, is a great way to kind of cope with that for sure. It's, it's interesting because when you're, when you're out there running – you know, sometimes you can get that runner's high, right? Where you just feel like you could do this forever and your mood is so elevated. And other times I find when I'm running, um, I don't know if you've experienced this in the past where you just kind of, you kind of get into that zone and you're not really thinking consciously and you're just moving. But I think in the background of the subconscious, all those things that are kind of bothering you or maybe on your mind causing some worry or stress are kind of working themselves out because when you're done, there's almost that clarity that you you come out with afterwards. Have you experienced something like that? Totally, yeah, yeah. especially on the longer runs where you're kind of thinking things through in your head and you're trying to maybe come up with a solution, but then the thought leaves you and then you're on to another thought and then you finish the run and you're kind of like, what was I even thinking about? Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you come back into the moment and you think, oh, I'm, I'm pretty tired or I'm hungry. <laughs> you, become, <laughs> you become aware of what's bothering you again at the moment anyway. It makes you very mindful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So Eva, let me ask you, because you've, you've been involved with running groups and hiking groups, um, when you're out there running, are you generally running with other people or do you spend time running alone? Mostly with other people. I, I do a few runs on my own for sure, but I find that uh, running with other people pushes me a bit more than I would push myself. And and sometimes it is lovely just to go on your own and kind of just uh, be with your own thoughts. But um, yeah, I find running with other people, um, it, makes, it makes me better. Um, it, it makes me want to challenge myself a little bit more. And that's kind of what I needed uh, leading up to the ultra marathon was to be put in kind of situations that were maybe like uncomfortable. And I had to learn to find comfort within that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the first time I went out with the double amend and running club like I bloody well nearly died like hyperventilating <laughs> trying to get up the mountain as fast as I could um but like I think over time as well you do find your flow within that so even though you are with a group um you know you're not trying to um run at a pace that's totally abnormal to you it, it is your pace but maybe slightly quicker because you're motivated by other people yeah, I think I think those are some very wonderful points you just brought up. And it's almost like, you know, iron sharpens iron. So when you're with like minded people um, and you're you're focused on the same common interests, you kind of build and feed off of each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just inspiring as well uh, to see what uh, where you are and you know where you could be with some consistent work because you see it with other people who maybe started doing say like a a couch to 5k and then they've you know half marathon and full marathon ultra and um just kind of seeing how that's possible for anyone if you just uh put that training in and you're consistent with it Absolutely. Um, you know, everybody has their own kind of starting point and, um, and challenges that they have to face. But like you said, with the consistency and support from other people, it can definitely happen. Uh, Eva, we're going to take a real quick break and we will be right back. If you want to improve your running efficiency and even increase your times at certain distances, 
you have to get in touch with running coach Eric Boom. He's also a previous guest here on Trail Tales ARP. His effortless running program has been helping runners really improve their efficiency and improve their running times. Trail Tales ARP can offer you a unique link. If you go to our website, trailtalesarp.com under programs, click on the link and it'll get you set up with Eric to try his three-week effortless running program. He offers video analysis, breaks it all down for you, gives you drills, just like he's done for me i'm really starting to notice improvements you can also go to effortlessrunning.com but you have to get in touch with eric boom if you want to make strides in your running okay everybody welcome back to the show i am here with eva butterly from you're in dublin ireland I sure am. All right. If you're coming to us live from Dublin, well, not live if you're listening now, this is a recording, but I am live currently <laughs> at this moment in space and time. But <laughs> so, not so, you guys, though. <laughs> no, no. So, Eva, we've been talking about kind of your journey with um, scoliosis and overcoming those challenges to completely like crushing strength training and powerlifting and, you know, overcoming some. Um, body image concerns, I guess, and, and learning to, to love your shape, um, which is which is huge. We didn't really get into that too much. But um, let's talk about that a little bit right now, because I think it's something that everybody goes through um, at some point in their life. Like f- me, for example, I'll give you a, a quick story. And I think it's important to share because I think body image, there's a lot of pressure on people. So I'm almost 40. I I can't believe it. I feel like I'm 18 still. But um, (laughs) when I was younger, I had an older brother who was into kind of the bodybuilding and things like that. And I kind of gravitated towards that as well and thought, you know, when I I get a little bigger or older, I want to get into bodybuilding. I had this image in my head of, you know, being big and muscle bound and everything. And I always felt like that's what I wanted to look like. And I did start uh, bodybuilding in my mid twenties. And I was, I was doing pretty good and progressing. And then I had the idea that I'm going to go do a show and get on stage and just look like I want, I belong on there. I didn't have any aspirations to win or anything. So I did that, but long story short, um, I kind of burnt my bridges with the weightlifting and stuff because it, I just got too involved in it. And, um, so I stopped working out and I went through a period where I put on weight and I was out of shape and I was walking around, you know, 70 pounds heavier and, um, you know, high cholesterol and all that stuff, but I didn't feel like myself. So I felt like, you know, I was trapped in a body that wasn't, um, what I imagine it should be. And it was, it was more so that I, I didn't have the energy or the stamina to run around and play with my kids. I'd get too tired and things like that. So I had a lot of motivation there to kind of do it for different reasons at that point. But I find now even, um, you know, being almost 40 years old, I still find that I'm like kind of assessing my physique and seeing what I'd like to work on here and there. And, and there's a little bit of, um, uh, I don't know, narcissistic narcissism to it, I guess you could say. Um, it's almost like I've had to struggle and learn to be comfortable with where I'm at, regardless of what I think I need to look like. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's okay to, you know, want to improve your shape or, you know, build upon what you already have. But uh, I suppose the the question is, like, are you are you happy with where, like, do, do you like yourself right now? And if you, you know, did these improvements, would that just be, you know, an extension of, um, you know, how you already feel about yourself? Or is it more like you hate yourself right now and you think um, – you know, by changing a certain part of your body, that's magically going to make you have, you know, self-esteem. I think that's why a lot of people get into fitness because they, um, you know, mentally are not in a good place with themselves. And they think by uh, changing themselves um, that they're automatically going to like love themselves. But it's not like that. You know, it's it's a journey. Um, and, you know, you don't have to absolutely love yourself or anything like that. But you, you do need to have, you know, respect for yourself and, you know, want to change uh, coming from a place of um, of love rather than a, a place of, uh, 
you know, hating your current shape yeah. and hoping things will be different in the future. Yeah, that's that's very well said, better than I could say it. Um, and, and I would agree. I think, you know, back when I was in my 20s, there was that I need to look like this. I need to have, you know, my arms need to be this size or, you know, my body fat percentage needs to be this size. And it was from from that kind of era where you're not really loving on yourself and you feel like you need to attain these goals. And, you know, once I got back into shape again and running was kind of like, well, it was actually cycling. And then I got into running and that was the catalyst that kind of got me back to health. And you know, I, I did kind of level with myself and said, I don't need to look this way. As long as I'm healthy, I'm, I'm happy, you know, and, and then I felt at some point that I was just doing running, there was no strength training involved. And I, I was like, I don't, I feel weak, you know, and it wasn't because I looked a certain way or didn't have the muscle mass. It's like, I don't feel balanced was, was my thing. So I incorporated the strength, the strength training into it. And now I feel like I've got a nice sense of balance where, where my body feels nice and strong. I feel healthy and, and I'm happy with myself, regardless of if, if there are certain problem areas. It's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not an elite runner. And if I want to have a couple slices of pizza, I'm going to have a couple of slices of pizza. <laughs> you know, there's no pressure now uh, having been through that journey. I think, I think, yeah, and I'd say you found a lot of peace through that as well, Sean. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think for the most part, you know, whether people admit it or not, I think we all go through that, through that body image struggle at some point in our lives. And I think the key, like you said, is to just kind of come at it from a, a place of love and, and being okay with where you're at and who you are, right? Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, I get messages every day from people being like I hate the way my scoliosis looks and I look at their back and you know mine technically would look a lot worse than that but yet I don't you know talk to myself the way that they would talk to their self Mm -hmm. and you gotta wonder like what is that like why why do they why are they hating on themselves so much for these like perceived flaws that they have you know do they think that by that or being erased that it's magically going to make them feel better because it's just not the case it has to come from within absolutely and uh, and you know not to get too far off track but i think you know there's a lot of pressures from society and advertising and things like that where you see all these beautiful people in magazines and on television and you think that's what, you know, is expected. Or maybe you, you build that voice inside your head thinking this is what you need to look like. And, and we, you know, the majority of the population in the world don't look like, like the stars that we see on TV or in magazines. So, um, you know, it's important to love what you have. And I got to ask you, have you always been such a positive person or is this something that you had to kind of rewire in your mind? Um, I'd say I've always naturally gravitated being uh, towards being more positive, but uh, you know I've definitely had you know dark moments as well. But I think those are the things that uh, shapes you and innately uh, gives you a better, uh, well, a more positive outlook on life because you're you're kind of more grateful for when things are actually going well because you know what it's like to experience dark times as well absolutely and i think without those experiences um you know you may not have that character that resilience to to overcome um challenges in life because there there will always be challenges thrown your way no matter what they look like whether it's scoliosis whether it's mental health whether it's you know any sort of other uh um physical challenge that you might have to overcome there's always going to be challenges out there so so as the saying goes um tough times make tough people absolutely and i think the sooner in your life you can go through tough times the easier it is for you to cope when you're older like i see so many people who have uh, led you know pretty standard lives they haven't had anything like really terrible happen to them but then when they're older and you know something uh happens that like knocks them out like they can't recover from it because they don't have that uh that resiliency that you build through uh adversity so that's how i think running is is really fabulous um in terms of building resiliency because you might 
you know, have times where you're really low, you have to run through muck, you have to run through rain and shit weather, and maybe you've fallen over a rock and like, you know, you have to just pick yourself back up and, and keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, you know, as the saying goes too, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. And like you said, if you don't have those coping mechanisms and if you haven't experienced hardships um, into your adult life, something that's relatively small might really knock the wind out of your sails more than it should. Yeah, yeah. so I think it's, it's, yeah, that's probably, I'd say that's the one of the most important skills to build is, uh, is resiliency, Sean. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. So speaking, speaking of hardships and challenges, um, you know, how would you say, have you had the ability to take your, your challenges and your journey and the lessons you've learned and use them to help others? Well, I'd say by nature, I'm a person who really, I, I really enjoy helping people. Uh, it, it's something that uh, gives me a lot of purpose. You know, some people are sharers. They like sharing things. Some people are givers. Um, I'm, a, I'm a person who really thrives off uh, helping people. So, you know, if I can help someone in some way through, like, the experience I've had, uh, that just... Uh, that that gives me that gives me a lot of purpose and and a lot of drive, and I don't mind actually being vulnerable or like sharing my experience if it if it does help someone. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, your personal training that you do um, now you're you're mainly focused on helping people with scoliosis, and I think that's that's wonderful because. Um, you're a prime example of, of what being physically active can do to help you overcome things when you've been told by medical professionals, oh, you shouldn't really get into sports or contact sports or anything to kind of take it easy. And you've kind of turned that upside down. So um, with, with your clientele, um, I'm assuming the majority of them are, um, you know, people who've had surgery for the scoliosis and you're helping them um, become active and, and um, strengthen up their bodies. Um, how is that working? How is that impacting their lives? Are, are they, are they benefiting quite a lot from the, from the training that you do with them, increasing their confidence, things like that? Yeah. Well, you know, I work with, uh, funny enough, the majority of people I work with uh, don't have scoliosis, but oh, okay. um, yeah, a lot of them do have scoliosis. Um, and, you know, I'd work with people who they have scoliosis, but they're not operated on and people who have scoliosis and they are operated on. And, uh, yeah, I'd say the uh, the main benefits they would have from it are increased uh, mental health and increased confidence. Um, so that's, you know, as we were talking about, that's one of the main things that people with scoliosis uh, struggle with is their perception of themselves um, compared to other people and, you know, feeling somewhat different and alienated. Um, and for them to be able to be involved in a sport, um, you know, like a strength training, resistance training, um, mobility work, um, it shows them that they're capable of a lot more than, you know, anyone has ever told them that they would be capable of. And, um, you know, that in itself... Um, makes them a lot more uh, positive people um, it uh, decreases their pain as well so just um, moving moving the body um, strengthening the muscles um, it helps uh, support the spine so it has an easier time uh, staying in place and um, overall I think it just uh, gives them a bit of a, a bit of a purpose as well to, to know that, you know, there, there is something that they can do d despite having, you know, a, a spinal condition. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're, you're helping um, empower a lot of people that, um, you know, may otherwise feel like they're, they're limited because of, because of their condition. Right. But you're showing them that, no, you're not, you can do whatever you like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's kind of like a, any, you know, 
any condition or disability that someone has it doesn't mean that you can't do something it just means that you have to find different uh modifications and adaptions for it but you can still do the thing you just have to do it in a way that works for your body absolutely and speaking of those modification and adaptations um did you kind of figure those out on your own because like you said when you had your surgery there wasn't really a lot of um literature out there um, so did you just kind of experiment and see what worked for you, what didn't, or how did you come about developing your routine? Yeah, pretty much on through trial and error, just years and years of figuring out what works, what doesn't work, and what ways can my body move, what ways can it not move. Um, I do get coached by my brother Cormac, who uh, writes up my uh, training programs for me, my powerlifting programs. Awesome. Um, so I do those uh, twice a week, and they're always just like a constant uh, experimentation to see like what I can actually do with my body. Like for example, um, uh, for many many years, I was afraid of doing barbell squats because um, I thought that I wouldn't be able for it with my scoliosis and I thought it was going to compress my spine and this type of thing. Uh, but this year uh, in 2019, um, I've gotten really, really good at them. And uh, it's just been about uh, perfecting my technique and using a different bar on my back um, due to my shoulder mobility. I use like a safety bar. Um, so it's just been a lot of that, a lot of hours uh, trying things out and um, seeing what works and what doesn't. But to be honest with you, it's different for everyone. So like I would work with someone and they might be able to do things that I can't do. And I might be able to do things that they can't do uh, just due to, um, you know, where their scoliosis is, how much of their spine is fused, etc. So uh, with everyone I'd work with, it is a process of trial and error to see like uh, what's going to work best for them. Yeah, you know, that's that's a sign of a great coach is being adaptable and not just giving everybody a blanket workout that's the same, you know. it's uh, it, it really does help get the best out of everybody's potential. If, like the approach you're taking is individualizing everybody's approach to it. That's awesome to hear. Well, cookie cutter doesn't work, Sean, because, no. you know, due to the way your anatomy is, you might be really good for, you know, say – bench pressing but maybe uh deadlifts uh might hurt your back so now you have to find a different way to do it you might have to use a different bar you might actually have to do a different movement that works the same muscles so it's um there's no one size fits all uh when it comes to fitness sean absolutely absolutely that's how i can tell you're a great coach (laughs) (laughs) well thank you (laughs) um Eva, why don't you run us through what like a, a typical day looks like for you? Like it's not a rest day, obviously, but like a training day. What would a typical day look like for you? Yeah, so I'll take a uh, I'll take a I'll take a Wednesday for example. Oh, okay, great, um, let's talk about Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so I tend to not schedule too many appointments in the morning time and you know Tuesday and Thursday I do have 6 a.m appointments which is quite early but uh, I tend to the other days uh, not schedule any uh, training sessions that early so the first uh, half of my day I will get in my own training and so I would either do my powerlifting program that my brother writes out for me I do that three days a week or on alternate days I'll either do um, a cycle a run um, a hike or uh, some mobility uh, yin yoga that type of thing Um, so that's the first half of the day and uh, then I'll just do stuff like social media um, you know writing posts responding to emails um, all the kind of administrative tasks and then from about uh, four, 4 to 10 o'clock, I will have clients. Um, so I take groups of people. Uh, I do strength and conditioning classes. I take individual people. Um, I take couples. Um, and, that, and then I, you know, would 
eat as well in between all those things as well. Uh, but that would be basically a typical day is first half of the day I try and keep it, uh, you know, for, for my training and uh, for for myself. And then the second half of the day is uh, is pretty much all work. Well, that's a, that's a pretty uh, jam-packed day. Yeah, but, you know, I sleep uh, I sleep a lot as well. You know, I um, on those days, I will sleep till 8 o'clock. So feel, you know, refreshed getting up. And I think when you're doing something that you love to do, um, it doesn't matter how hard you work because you would do it anyway, regardless if you were paid for it or not. That's very true. That's very true. Um, okay, I can't not interview you without asking about your acting because it's so cool like i'm a huge fan of the game of thrones and i've read all the novels up to date um i i must admit though i didn't watch the entire series and i think a lot part of it was because i didn't have the time to do it i think another part of it was i had all the characters already built in my mind and what they looked like and i didn't want to <laughs> i didn't want to ruin that you know but from the episodes i did see they did a really good job trying to stay true to the book and to the story. Um, I heard from other people that, you know, they kind of s- strayed away from the, from the books a little bit near the end, which I guess, you know, you can take creative control when you're transitioning from, from novel to, to the screen. But so you were, you were in game of Thrones and I did watch your scene. It was very easy to find. It was really cool. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm interviewing, I'm interviewing you in a few days. And it was so cool. So what was, what was that experience like? Like, that's just so cool. Oh, yeah, it was brilliant, Sean. So I got very lucky. Um, I was newly signed on with an agent in Ireland and they were looking for someone to play this uh, theatre actress character in Game of Thrones. And um, I got very lucky. To be honest with you, I had never watched Game of Thrones. Um, I still haven't. Because <laughs> 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 um, I'm just not really a big TV person. Um, sure. But uh, that's what uh, my background is in. Like I'm a theatre performer. Um, I have a Bachelor of Arts in Drama and Performance. Um, so I got to... So my agent uh, sent in for me, like she submitted my you know headshot portfolio, all that type of thing. And um, I, yeah, uh, after, you know, an audition and a few negotiations, ended up getting the part. And then I think it was like that weekend, they drove me up to Belfast uh, to get my costume fitted. I uh, went to the area where they film Game of Thrones and uh, it was unbelievable. Like they put me up in a hotel in Belfast um, I met the other people that I was doing the scene with. We did some like run throughs of it. And um, then uh, we took a break for two weeks. And then after that, we were flown out to Girona, Spain to film the portion of the scene where we're actually on stage uh, performing the the play. So yep. for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, our scene was kind of like we were doing um, a kind of... Uh, a satire of what was actually happening in Game of Thrones. So all these events were happening in Game of Thrones and we were this theatre troupe that came into town and we were reenacting what was happening in uh, the Game of Thrones, the the series at the time. Um, so, yeah, so we did, uh, we did a week in Girona. It was really cool. Um, got to hang out with all the cast, um, lovely people, super down to earth, um, super kind like just real normal people really sound and um then we did a week in belfast well a bit under a week um where we did like some of the backstage scenes um and Maisie williams who plays aria she was like in our little scene as well mm-hmm. um so it was really cool um it was really cool um fantastic experience i was a bit um I remember at the time I was a bit like, whoa, I can't believe this is happening to me because I'd never really done much like TV before that. And then yeah. like land this like role in like the world's biggest TV show was just a bit like, whoa, I can't believe that is happening. <laughs> but it was great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've got a huge smile on my face just hearing you tell the story. I think it's just it's just so cool. Um, did you guys have a lot of bloopers? Because sometimes, you know, those are... I really enjoy watching bloopers and things like that. But did you guys uh, have fun times like that as well? 
Oh my gosh, definitely. Yeah, we had uh, Richard E. Grant in our scene and he is absolutely hilarious. Um, So there were many times we were rehearsing the play on stage and you'd hear the odd, oh, effing blinding. (laughs) I won't won't say it on here. But yeah, there's definitely a few bloopers for sure. Yeah, it's always just fun stuff, eh? So are you still acting or is it just like a passion of yours? How's all that going? Um, I'm not acting anymore, Sean. Um, I, I could get back into it if I wanted to, but I'm just not super passionate about it at the moment. Um, I think my uh, uh, my heart at the moment is more in um, my, my business and uh, kind of, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to grow it. I'm, I'm pretty happy with uh, where it's at, but um, yeah, to, to answer your question, I'm not doing acting at the moment, but I'm I'm kind of happy about that at the same time because I find if I try and do too many things at once, then I don't do anything well. So I'm better off doing one thing, doing it well, and then you know doing the next thing. Oh, absolutely! I, I don't even know how you would fit the fit that into your schedule as it is now. And you know, I, th- I think you've you've certainly seems like you found your calling anyhow. Um, so your business is uh, primarily the the personal training. Uh, yeah, so I do a mixture of online training and uh, personal training one-to-one. So I have a couple of clients from all different areas around the world where um, I either will train them virtually, so I will train them through Skype. Um, a lot of people I work with have disabilities and uh, prefer to work out from their own home, so mm-hmm. I will lead them through workouts, or I will... Uh, write them up a plan if they prefer to uh, follow a plan from the gym and then I provide videos of myself performing the movements and um, and then we do kind of uh, we do video form checks uh, so I can just check out how their form is looking before we progress up um, and then so that's the online part of it the in-person is um I have a a studio in Rush, uh, Warrior Fitness. It's like a small studio gym where we just have very simplistic, uh, basic equipment. And uh, I run classes out of there. So I do ladies strength and conditioning classes. Um, I do, I I work with some couples. um, I work with individuals. um, And yeah, anything from, you know, some people are coming in there because they want to, you know, lose body fat or they want to gain muscle, or maybe they just want to, um, you know, get into a consistent fitness routine, and this is just the the catalyst to help them do that. So people kind of come for a wide variety of reasons, but I, I'm finding at the moment it's um, more crucial than ever with COVID-19 for, for people to feel kind of connected and, and feel like a part of something. It, it's not like a it's, – it's kind of hard at the moment with training because uh, – I have to mostly do it outdoors just uh, with social distancing and that, but it it definitely makes you a a good trainer because you become like really adaptable to any type of situation. Oh yeah. I think that's a, that's a must. And I think it's so important too, like you'd mentioned the gym, you you said it has like the basic equipment, nothing fancy, but it's amazing what you can accomplish with, with very little in terms of equipment. And, you know, I think the better people can understand um, you know, training and movements and things like that, which is kind of what you're you're going um, through with them and teaching them. You can pretty much get get in a good workout no matter where you are. Oh, you know? totally! If you just had your body weight, you can perform an amazing workout with that. You know, if you have an elevated surface, even better. You can <laughs> you can do like tons and tons of single leg work. Um, you know, you just have to. Uh, I think you just have to know. Um, uh, I think it just comes with experience, Sean. Uh, it does. The more you do, the the more you're you're able to, you know, create your own little workout plan. Absolutely, and that's why it's important to get a coach, right? Because if you don't have that knowledge, what better way than to to learn it from another person, have them pass that knowledge down to you? Yeah, and that's something that you keep with you for life. It, yeah. It's not just something you learn once and then 
you forget like you know that you'll have confidence then when you walk into a gym that you know how to you know set up a rack or you know you know how to go over to a bench and set up your dumbbells to you know do your workout so it's yeah it's, it's definitely invaluable yeah, for sure. And and you brought up a good point too, is boosting up that confidence because I think a lot of it when people walk into a gym and they don't have any experience and they've never had a coach or personal trainer, it's very intimidating, you know, and you don't know what to do or how to use a certain machine or what kind of movement you can do with a free weight. So starting off with somebody who knows what they're doing, I think is just so very important. Um, I, one of the things I like to do for entertainment sometimes when I have spare time, which is not very often is, <laughs> is, you know, there's people in the gyms and, and somebody will take a video of somebody using a machine that's completely backwards or they're doing some sort of bizarre movement on there. And it's good for a chuckle once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel so bad for those people because I can tell from their perspective, you know, a lot of people work or go into the gym and they're like, oh, gyms are crap um, because they don't know what to do with yeah. the equipment. They might like just, you know, do a few reps on a hamstring curl machine and then, you know, do that ab crunch machine. And they're like, oh, gyms suck. Like gyms don't work. But when you actually know what to do, um, it makes it a whole lot easier. And as you said, you don't need a whole lot of equipment. I don't use any machines, um, yeah. which is a good old squat rack. Um, barbells some dumbbells and uh, you know a tire or two here and there to flip and that that's all you need yeah it's pretty much it that's that's a pretty good list right there it's funny there have been times you know when I first started I'd, I'd walk into a gym and I'd, I'd look at a piece of equipment and I'd, I'd, I'd stand there looking at it I'm like how am I supposed to use this thing and I, I'm not touching that <laughs> I'd walk away and then I'd kind of just hang around and do something else and keep my eyes on it and wait for somebody else to go there and see what they're doing and then <laughs> <laughs> like hopefully they know what they're doing yeah I, I had too much pride to ask for help so <laughs> scope scope the place out and see what happens <laughs> and that's what the personal trainers want you to do because they're just sitting there twiddling their thumbs like they're screaming for someone to come and, and help know. out oh i know <laughs> i don't know if i was just too timid timid or too too prideful or whatever but i got by it's so funny um <laughs> hey live to tell the tale absolutely so eva one thing we haven't touched upon yet is you actually have your own podcast i do yes the scoliosis warrior podcast um, yes so it is a podcast where i bring on different guests who either have scoliosis and they have a really interesting story or i bring on like you know professionals either like you know doctors orthopedic surgeons uh, physiotherapists and um, different types of movement specialists and they just kind of pick their brain on everything involving scoliosis so what is their view on treatments um, you know, what is their views on, on exercise, um, on, on diet, on mindset. Um, and we just kind of uh, deconstruct the subject um, in hopes of, uh, you know, helping people out there who might be struggling. That's awesome. And the great thing about it is you're, you're getting this knowledge too, right? Like you said, you can pick their brains and these are doctors and surgeons and whatnot. And that's really good. I'm curious, do you happen to know off the top of your head, in terms of like numbers of prevalence of scoliosis amongst the general population? Like how, how common is it? Well, I know in Ireland, Sean, it is pretty common. Um, about 3% of the population have scoliosis. So whether that is just um, a mild scoliosis or a severe one, um, you know, a lot of people have scoliosis and don't even know they have it. Um, but I suppose it's it's defined as uh, any curvature that's more than 14 degrees in the spine, whether that's a lumbar, um, thoracic or cervical. Okay. Um, so any degree of 14 degrees or more is defined as scoliosis. Um, and yeah, about 3% of the population in Ireland have that. And I'd say the number is probably quite similar over in Canada as well. Yeah. Okay. Um is, are there any like factors that play a role? Is it, is it mostly genetics or, you know, previous injury? Well, it depends on the type of scoliosis. Um, right. So the type that I have is called idiopathic scoliosis, adolescent idiopathic, which means it uh, presents itself as an adolescent 
an idiopathic meaning it has no it, there's there's no cause as to why it happens okay um so i think there is some genetic components to it as well there's probably some hormonal components but um at the moment that type of scoliosis is a it's kind of unknown there's other types as well like congenital uh, that happens when you are a baby there's um degenerative that happens when you're older and you know the uh, structures start to uh, degenerate um so it's kind of you know scoliosis is a bit of a blanket term it's kind of like cancer it just covers a wide variety of mm-hmm. different types of uh, spinal uh, deformities Okay, that makes sense. Um, Eva, where can where can people contact you if there's anybody out there who wants to, you know, pick your brain or hire you for coaching services? Where would people be able to find you? Oh yeah, so if uh, anyone wants to get in contact with me, uh, probably either Instagram or Facebook is the best place to find me. So my name Eva Butterly on Instagram and on Facebook it's Eva Butterly Fitness. And uh, just send me a message and uh, I'll get back to you. That's awesome. I will uh, post those links to the show notes as well. So if you didn't have a pen, you can just go click on the, sh- on the show notes and the links will be there for you as well. Eva, uh, it's been so wonderful talking to you. And I've said this in, in past shows, the, the beauty of podcasting and, and technology is, is the ability to be able, be able to talk to people like you who are, you know, on the other side of the world. And I normally wouldn't ever have an opportunity to talk to you. Right. So this is, this has been really special and thank you so much for, for your time and for coming on the show and sharing your story. Oh, this has been so lovely, Sean. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really nice to chat with you. Absolutely. And if you ever find yourself back in Canada, specifically Ontario, uh, look us up. We'll, we'll We'll go for a little trail run together. I would love that, Sean. I would love that. I will. Uh, I'll send you a message uh, when I get back to the state or when I get back to Canada. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, <laughs> Thank you, Eva. Sean. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with a customary saying that we leave all our guests with here, and that is to run wild. Hey, everyone! Thanks so much for listening to Trail Tales ARP. If you like our show, please help us out by subscribing to our show so you don't miss any new episodes. Also by leaving us a review. And please visit trailtalesarp.com where you can get even more content. You can also follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP on Facebook at trailtalesarp. See you next week.